Welcome to episode seven of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Today's episode is sponsored by Elevay. They actually provide affordable women's wear for the conscious fashionista. Their website is elevayclothing.co.uk. They are a brand based out in the UK, but they have a site for us people in the States. Their clothing is so cute. They have abayas, they have dresses, and it's super affordable, you guys. Nobody's trying to spend over $100 on an abaya that you have to tailor regardless. So make sure you visit their site. It's elevclothing.co.uk. Zaina, girl, what's on your mind? Um, so before we get into today's episode, I kind of want to address the creatives in our community. But by addressing them, I also want to talk to the people who sit at home and take in the works made by these people. I'm talking about the people who are taking the unconventional route, going into fields like art and media, the ones singing songs and writing books, and even the ones putting it all out there on TV. Dunya and I get it. On a very small scale, we get the struggle you guys face. Sometimes the fear of like saying something that could be taken out of context or used against us or used against the Muslim group. Yeah, it's just to use to offend someone is paralyzing. And we have to constantly remind ourselves why we started this podcast. And that is to be unsweetened and unfiltered. I just want us to be real on yeah, here. I don't we have want to, to remind back. ourselves not to hold back. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think we put so much pressure on Muslim creatives. And I understand partially that's because opportunities in these fields aren't just handed to us but i think tearing down every word they say and every word they write and every move they make isn't going to help our community at all yeah we're not gonna move forward and i think people need to understand when somebody comes out and they are creating something they're creating it from their perspective exactly to them what being a muslim is not gonna resonate to what it means to you to being a muslim because all of us have different experiences i mean we come from different parts of the world too yeah i've never like read a book or watched a movie or tv show that I 100, 100% like completely resonated with. Yeah, like the show Ramya. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I want a season two. But I wouldn't be honest if I said that, oh, I related to every single no, line of that no. script. No. And I don't think we're meant to. No. Because it's, the show is Rami. It's not Zayna. It's not Dunya. But it's and also not a Muslim man, a Muslim boy. It's called Rami for yes, a reason because it's exactly. his personal experience. And we also have to remember that not every creative outlet put out there is meant to represent us just because it's made by a Muslim. Yeah. Because everyone is dealing with different life experiences. I mean, there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. And how can we expect one group of people or one show to accurately represent all of us? It's impossible. Exactly. And I think we need to start shifting the idea of like having to make sure that we don't um, give in to the, what the West thinks of us. Yes. Like, honestly, at this point, when it comes to this podcast, we're sharing stories of the women in our community. But I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat things just to say, oh, I don't want them to think that they're right about the most the women in our community you know what i mean exactly yeah. and i think that we have to stop putting that much pressure and responsibility on the creatives in our community who are not asking for that yeah just because they're muslim doesn't mean that they're expected to accurately represents every one of our experiences and i'm so sick and tired of having to put that disclaimer out and say this is my personal story exactly. this is my personal because opinion. no one else has to do it no from I any other think, culture yeah, or religion or faith i tried to think of like an example and for some reason the only example i can think of was like the real housewives of new jersey Girl, that show <laughs> i've never watched an episode but i've seen clips online yeah. and although it looks super funny and really entertaining it also doesn't show these women in the best light but you don't and i know housewives from new jersey yeah and they're not offended by this show because they realize that this show isn't to highlight 
every housewife from New Jersey. It's supposed to highlight those specific group of girls. They didn't I mean? shy away from the camera and, and wanted to share and the story. Exactly. So yeah. why do we expect our shows and, and the shows made by us to represent all of us? Yeah. I just think it's impossible and it's not fair for the people who are putting it all out there and, and working their, you know, working their butts, butts off. off. <laughs> working their butts off and then they get criticism because someone from Chicago doesn't, resonate with Rami yeah it's kind of not fair I I definitely agree and it kind of brings us into our next guest for this episode which is Abir Najjar if you're from Chicago and even from outside of Chicago you would definitely know who she is yes she is a self-taught chef and food writer she was born on the south side of Chicago shout out to the south side <laughs> um to Palestine immigrants and Abir's love for food started in her mother's kitchen. Of course, everybody like just resonates with the fact that they see their mom in the kitchen cooking the most delicious foods and coming home to that beautiful smell. So that's amazing. And that love was also deeply influenced by the multicultural neighborhoods she was raised in. And her cooking reflects a fusion of those worlds. Abir writes to preserve memories of cooking with her mother and to share her food experience. And she hopes that by sharing this, she inspires like a deeper appreciation for the food and the cultures in which it comes from. So for many children of immigrants, traditional food is often a source of embarrassment, but Abir wants to shift that embarrassment to pride. And this is an episode that's going to like, you know, bring us into Ramadan, but we're not going to just specifically talk about how to get ready for Ramadan and whatnot. It's much more than that. It's a little bit deeper than that. And you guys are going to truly enjoy all the stories that she has. She so much insight and so much wisdom i mean there was a couple times i was like dang she's really dropping some knowledge on us so i really hope you guys enjoy this episode and i hope you have a great ramadan but before we actually dive in zana you want to announce the giveaway winner let's announce the winner of our last week's giveaway yeah they're gonna win three scarves as well as a beautiful necklace with the name of their country on there i love that and the winner is amani shuman Queen Imani, you can slide into our DMs and we will have that stuff shipped out to you. Congrats, girl. Thank you to everybody that always enters our giveaways and supports us. Inshallah, we'll have many, many more. We just love having giveaways. We do. Yeah, but let's dive into today's episode. Let's do it. Welcome, Abir. Thank you for making it out. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So we just want to get right into it. Um, Where did your passion for food come from? That's interesting. Where does passion come from? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Let's get deep, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, I mean, I've always loved food my whole entire life. Um, But I think that's really general. Like, not a lot of people would probably say, I don't love food or I don't like food. I know. As I was saying, I'm like, yeah. I can totally relate <laughs> yeah, to you because right? I'm always thinking about what I'm eating Food's next. Um, but my earliest childhood memories are literally being in the kitchen with my mom, not necessarily cooking because I was maybe four or five years old, um, but just always being around her and um, her cooking and her always being this uh, character in my upbringing of this person who provided sustenance right and it was the way she showed her love and the way she kept a constant in our life so no matter what was going on in our lives um, whether we were like having rough times or having struggles or really celebratory times in our life there was this consistency of like my mom's cooking Um, in addition to that I very much remember uh, lounging out on the couch as a kid watching PBS cooking shows so Julia Child, Jack Pepin, 
Um, this was way before, I'm going to age myself. This was way before Food Network. (laughs) This is way before Cooking Channel. This is way before Instagram, anything like that, um, where those were the people I watched uh, cooking on TV, and that's what I enjoyed uh, consuming as far as content. Um, And then I just kept that going, you know, in my life and kind of navigated in and out of that world. I think that's interesting that you made that point about your mom. I don't. I think we take them for granted because that's so true. Anything that goes on in our life, you come home and you see your mom you, there's in the always kitchen. Food, yeah. And no matter what's going on, and the, if she, there isn't, you get mad. It's like, mom, where's the food? Like, yeah. To eat. But do we ever thank her for making food every no. day? No, we just get mad at her when she's not cooking and she didn't text us and tell us to bring something home type yeah. of thing. So clearly, you were in the kitchen with your mom and you were kind of always like her shadow watching her. When did it become where you started helping her out and actually be like? let me be your sous chef type of thing or um actually when I was I mean maybe like six seven years old I definitely couldn't like well I wasn't like cooking up a storm with my mom but I remember uh I vividly remember like writing out a menu um because I would play restaurant with my siblings that is so so cute I'm the the youngest it wasn't cute it was a way they took advantage (laughs) of me to cook for them (laughs) Uh, or to make food for them. Uh, no, I love them. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm the youngest of four siblings. So I vividly remember like getting a piece of paper and really not knowing how to write a menu because I wasn't that like proficient in writing and reading yet. Yeah. So I would just like write down what I saw on food products. And I remember literally writing like contadina tomato paste and like this or that. <laughs> Why do I and, find that cute? We're playing yeah. dollhouse or whatever Barbies and yeah. this girl's writing up the menu. And I would like come out and they'd be sitting in the living room and I'm like, here's your menu. And I was like the waitress, the chef, all that. And I don't even remember what, I, I probably made them bologna sandwiches, honestly. Oh but yeah. it was just like this game that I would play. So it was like, you know, I was getting into it at that point. And then um, I think like, obviously cooking alongside with my mom and then once my mom my mom started working when I was like in middle schoolish uh age uh she's she started working and uh I remember that was kind of a time where I I started taking more ownership of like cooking for myself when I'd come home after school or like remembering like my siblings starting to take more initiative to cook in our house um and then yeah from then it was just like we were always we're a family that just likes to cook. Uh, so that's just how it's always been. And then when did you start blogging? When did that come into play? I think Instagram had came out, uh, had been out for a little bit, but nobody was really on it. And I remember a friend telling me, oh, you need to get on Instagram. And I was like, what is it? Yeah. I was always like sus of social media. Mm-hmm. Like when MySpace was out, I was like, no, nah, I'm not making a MySpace. Mm-hmm. And when Facebook came out, I was like, I don't need to make Facebook. And I literally still remember the emails I would get from my friends inviting me to Facebook. And I'm like, I don't really need to do this. I see y'all all all the time, you know? So, um, who knew that would be such a big part of our lives? Right. I mean, yeah. So then somebody was like, it's like Twitter, but pictures. And I didn't even use Twitter at that point. So I didn't even understand the reference. Right. Um, but then I got on Instagram and it just, you know, it just, is a reflection of your life, right? So I would just post food. I didn't really post, like, my family or really... And at that point, you couldn't, like, upload to Instagram. It literally was Insta. Like, you had to take the photo through right Insta. there yeah. through Insta. Oh, wow. That's what, like, you couldn't, right at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah my yeah. sisters, they're the ones that they found it, and they told me about it, and all I was seeing was just yeah. these aesthetic photos, but I was like, but it was still through Instagram. Like, it's not like you can just, you know... No, you couldn't upload. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't, like, edit a photo and upload yeah. it, right? You literally would just take a photo, put a filter on it... And that was it. And, yeah. and decide if you wanted 
at a border or not and yes. that was it <laughs> yes um and then you get some likes i don't even know if there was comments whatever yeah there wasn't dms none of that um all oh, the good old times yes. <laughs> before instagram dms oh my god but uh but yeah i just started you know i was just posting food and people would be like oh my god you need to start a blog oh my god you need to start a blog and I was like, who am I to even start a blog, right? But I know like a part of me too was like, yeah, I really want to, but I just didn't think I was an authority to write about food, right? Um, my sister kept telling me like, you need, to, you need to start a blog, you need to start a blog. I'm like, I don't even know how to design a blog. It's not perfect. It's not, I just had this perfectionism like really eating at me. If I'm not perfect at the beginning, nobody's going to be into it. But um, that's kind of uh, what society makes you feel. Yeah. Absolutely. And this yeah. is like before you're seeing all this, like exposed to all this curated, yeah. perfect content all the yeah. time. Um, but again, it, and then it was like also a part of like a reflection of my identity of like, well, what am I even and what kind of food do I want to share and feeling like I needed to fit into a box as far as my food point of view and my food personality. Um, so that's where I was kind of confused and hesitant, but I think it's been like a little over five years since then, um, that I kind of started this journey and it's been, you know, it's been up and down and navigating it and figuring out what I want to be as far as in the food world or how I want to contribute to the food world. And I think it's going to continue doing that. Um, and I'm just like figuring it out. Let's go back to identifying yourself. I think that's super yeah, interesting. Your food identity. Yeah, just just but even you as a person because can we talk about where you grew up and how you do identify yourself because of where you grew up? I mean, initially, I think for most of my life if somebody asked me where I was from, I might have not said it at first, but I would just say Southside Chicago, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's what I would say at instinct, right? But when somebody's asking you where you're from, you know they're probably not asking geographically where did you yeah. grow up they're asking you look different you must be from somewhere else mm -hmm. so yeah I very much identify as being like from the south side of Chicago um as being Palestinian as being a child of immigrants as being a first generation American as being a woman um yes. so and what about the different cultures that you grew up around as well yeah I mean um Chicago yeah I think is specifically like I grew up around uh, the West Lawn, Marquette Park area. 63rd was a constant in, in our lives. We never lived directly on 63rd, but the apartment I was born into, if that makes sense, yeah. was on 64th and Kedzie. Um, we were on 63rd and Kenneth yeah. most of our lives until like we moved into the burbs. Yeah. yeah. And we like went and revisited it um, when we did the shoot for Lifetime, Her America. I do that randomly. It's just, it's uh, yeah. weird, right? But it's nice to just go revisit where you yeah, used it was, to live. It's, it's definitely weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, like we've been there, but it's kind of like to see this shift of where your neighborhood is was and where it is now or the idea you had yeah. of your neighborhood because yeah, your your so mindset different. was probably different yeah. right and now I go back and I'm like ma how did you let me walk home from school and she's <laughs> exactly. like what <laughs> we used to always when we were little like Absolutely. no supervision because it was everybody trusted everybody yeah, you kind of knew then. your neighbors and type of thing it's Absolutely. different now yeah um so I grew up around that area and even though I think a lot of people think of 63rd street as being you know Dangerous. just this oh no not necessarily I think like when I when I speak to Arab about it, yeah. it's they think, oh, it was like the Arab hub. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, it was to an extent. But like there was lots of other communities that lived around there. And 
my mom didn't segregate us to a specific community to um, be around. It wasn't like you could only have Arab friends. Um, honestly, kind of the opposite. My mom and dad very much like supported and uh, encouraged us to have different friends and for them to know all of our friends. And they were very welcoming to always have our friends over. And um, that's just organically what my upbringing was like. Uh, I was connected to my Arab Palestinian uh, side, but like some of the people I looked up to the most, you know, who were like my parents' age, like people who kind of took the place of my grandparents yeah. because I wasn't, uh, my, my grandparents weren't here, um, were like Irish immigrants that lived around the block from us. Um, my Aunt Judy and Uncle Alan, yeah. uh, my parents made us call them that yeah. even though we weren't related to them, but um, they were Irish immigrants that became friends of my parents and they almost became like my Sithi and Sidi um, and other people in our neighborhood uh, who were like that. So yeah, those all those um, it it kind of prepared me for just having a life with lots of different people and not necessarily feeling like I need to be in one circle. Um, that didn't mean I didn't have identity issues. It kind yeah. of sometimes added to it because I was like, wait, am am I Latina? Am yeah. I Palestinian? Am I Muslim? Am I non-Muslim? Like I don't know what I am. And honestly, for a long time, thinking I had to fit into one of those. And all that made me do was feel not enough of any of those. Yeah. I didn't feel Muslim enough for Muslims. I didn't feel like I was non-Muslim or not, not a Muslim. I didn't feel Arabi enough for Arab. I didn't feel Palestinian enough for Palestinians. I didn't feel white enough for white people. Um, so just kind of this always like this underlying layer of lacking. Um, and it really took me years. I think really I've only reconciled it in like the last year or two of being like, wait, um, all these things are a part of me and they could all exist together. And Where um, you didn't have to limit yourself to just one identity because of where your parents came from, technically. Absolutely. And, th and that wasn't fair to them because yeah. even my parents have literally been here in Chicago twice as long as they lived in Palestine. Like, I make fun of them when we go back home sometimes. Yeah. Home, interesting word. Yeah. Um, when we go back to <laughs> Palestine, that, like, my mom will be like, I miss America. And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? I'm like, you know what? That's real though. Like yeah. that's her experience and this is her home too. And when she's, you know, gotten used to a certain way of living and then you're kind of pulled out of that, it's a shock. I'm you not going to lie. My mom had the same situation. She was in the bled like maybe two years ago for three whole months. And I'm like, do you want to extend your trip? She's like, no, I really want to okay. come back. Like I miss my house. Yeah, I miss yeah. where I live. I miss like the certain things that and she's going, used to. Going back to what you said, I think we're constantly focused on like checking boxes and we don't have to put ourselves into any box. We can be more than one identity. We have to start removing these walls and barriers exactly. that like exist within our minds because yeah, again, you don't have to just be Palestinian. Exactly, I'm not saying yeah. to claim you're Hispanic or Latino yeah. or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, just that's not that's accurate. You, yeah. <laughs> that's definitely not accurate. But if that's part of you feel like in a way that's part of your identity because of where you grew up, I, yeah. I definitely understand that. How has that childhood and the people that you surrounded yourself growing up affected your food identity now? Definitely in the beginning, it was like, well, what kind of food do I cook? Or mm -hmm. what kind of food, actually, not what kind of food do I cook? Because when I'm cooking, I'm realizing there's... I'm not feeling judged by anybody. It's my happy place. Nobody is around me. I'm not on Instagram live cooking. I don't got to worry about anybody's comments or anything. But so many of the insecurities come from like, what are people going to say? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and definitely once I started putting my food out there, that's what happened. It would be like comments like that's not how you cook Bamya. And I'm like, thanks. 
Siti, but not my Siti, literally. Like, yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah. Halto, on Facebook <laughs> from God knows where. Yeah. But, like, maybe you cook Bamiya a little differently. Bamiya is okra, by the way, for anybody who Girl, I love speak. Bamiya. There's a love-hate relationship with that, but I love Oh, Bamiya. it's a love it or hate it yes. thing. Yeah, and I was not. like, you know what? Like, when we were filming mm-hmm. my cooking web series, I was like, I was telling um, the producer and director, we gotta have Bamia. And he's like, yes. why? I was like, because it's like, there's gonna be so many haters, yes. such a, but I wanna win yeah. them over, yes. like with this video. And literally, there was people who were like, yo, I hate Bamia, but you made it look good. And I'm like, <laughs> give it a chance. As an adult, you you have a different no, palate than when you're younger. I have to try it now. Yeah, when you're younger, Absolutely. that's not yeah. something you wanna eat. You're looking like, like Bamia, Mlochia. Yes. Um, Just have Mlochia yesterday. Those are like the ones that are like, you either hate it or you love it. My dad, like, does not eat mlochia and really? we all yeah. love it and my like nieces and nephews all love it and every time we cook it it's the always the follow-up question is like what are we gonna make for dad because it's like he's gonna I feel bad for my <laughs> she does that like she has to like if it's just one person doesn't like it she still cooks something else yeah. for them oh my god oh my but gosh. back to the point about yeah. your question i'm sorry we're gonna get off on a lot Girl, of tangents i love it um yeah. but so yeah so it's like once i kind of started putting my food out there i was like again you know, seeing judgment, seeing people who I think want to fit in that box and want to define themselves within a box because there's a comfort in it. And when they see people not doing that, it bothers them yes. and it like disrupts their, you know, it's dissonance. And it's yeah. like, why are you doing that? Um, but really, um, so for me, it was like, I'm just trying to be as true to my roots and my experience as I can. And in that also pay homage to the people that have influenced the way I eat. And it's not fair for me to not, you know, honor them in that. And when I'm honoring them, also being careful that I'm not being an appropriator. Right. So like one of my best friends growing up, Susie, like her dad would always make us like amazing food when I would go to her house. I was writing recently about uh, her dad's flautas and like my first experience of eating flautas at her house. Like for me, that's trying to navigate and trying to find the best way that I can tell like my stories of my experience and not leaving out the people who are an influence to that. Um, Because I just think that's the way we can lend ourselves as like allies and telling each other's and helping uplift each other's stories and not leaving those people out of like our like experience said, yeah, removing walls and boundaries between um each other. yeah so and and showing that like showing that like food food is not in a vacuum and our and our food experience is not in a vacuum and i'm not gonna lie and act like oh yeah i was sitting there like you know but look at them like uh, like pulling leaves off of the stems with my mom like actually no my whole life it's came frozen in a bag and yeah. that's my mlochia experience yeah. right or like um recently like so many people identified and really enjoyed like a post I made about like our falafel guy, Ahmed. You made me from- want to go to Ahmed <laughs> and get myself some falafel. That was the best yeah. post I've ever read. Like I think like, I felt every word that you said. I'm not just saying this just to say it. But yeah, I loved it. But like a post like that, I would say like three years ago, I would be so afraid to like. Yeah post falafel in a paper bag but i'm like this is my honest experience yeah. yeah i love when it's like beautiful on a plate with like tania and some parsley to decorate it but i'm like this is my that's food experience really. it was mine too yeah. when i seen it i resonated um, with it. i'm like that's what i grew up yeah. on going to him and just grabbing. absolutely yeah. and for other people maybe it's not maybe for other people it's always been getting a falafel sandwich with the works from neil on 63rd or mm-hmm. from wherever or you know wherever you're getting it from a truck in new york 
And that's great. And that I think like digging more into the, that variety is really just showing the richness of our culture and it, that it just got another layer when our ancestors and our family immigrated and moved to different places, like to not limit ourselves to thinking there's this one Arab experience, yes. this one Palestinian experience, um, because it's not. So, um, so that's definitely influenced the way I cook and I hope it keeps influencing the way I cook. I don't, my food experience and the way I cook, I hope isn't static. And I hope I'll keep being inspired by traveling, meeting other people, learning from more people. And even on a local level, like when I just talk to people online um, or meet other people, even in the grocery store, like yeah. me and my mom are totally like we're creeps when we're in <laughs> like uh, getting produce or something and we see somebody grabbing the same thing we grab and we're like, how do you cook that? You know, and that's so interesting, yeah. though, that's it's really, a way like to learn that. and yeah. just a way to keep expanding your knowledge and appreciation for the way other people do things. I always joke, but this is really not a joke. But if yeah. I take you like on a grocery store date, yeah, just know it's getting serious. I love <laughs> that. <laughs> Seriously, it's more to it than just yeah, a quick it's... grocery store run. But you do this really cool thing where you kind of like mix your mm -hmm. traditional food with like food from the cultures that you grew up around and you make a shawarma taco mm -hmm. and i think that's just like the coolest thing yeah. <laughs> like the combining those two kind of those two identities together like yeah what made you start doing that so shawarma tacos was um actually the first time we made it and served it was at uh one of my supper clubs and it was actually inspired by taco arabe which is like translates like arab tacos which is what you would experience in like south america usually in brazil quick history lesson y'all yeah. <laughs> arabs yeah. didn't just immigrate to america like north america a lot of them went to south america um yeah my grandfather went to venezuela i mean yep. that's where my dad that's was so born cool. my yeah, dad was born in venezuela that. yeah absolutely um my mother's uncle went to peru yeah. so i have like long lost peruvian cousins yes. we just reconnected with like awesome. a few years ago through shout out to facebook yeah. sorry like See, that's the reason we reconnected they found us on facebook yeah. but if you actually watch ugly delicious on netflix they talk about this in in their taco episode they talk about the lebanese um Im immigrants that came to brazil and the, i like took the idea of like meat on a like pit like yeah. spinning and cooking shawarma mm -hmm. and um then cutting that off into some kind of flatbread right and it became either like tacos del pastor or like taco arabe um so literally slicing meat off into some kind of vessel that will hold it whether it's a pita or a tortilla and just eating it like that um so I wanted to, you know, take that as inspiration to create my own in order to kind of open up the story about that and show like how our cultures and our histories kind of intertwine with others and um, and just showcase that more. So it's not like something I invented, um, but it's a, a means I hope in like developing my own recipe that I can open up people to know that history a little more. Yeah, because I really yeah, didn't give it too much thought, the fact that my grandparents immigrated to Venezuela first before coming to the States here mm -hmm. and like my dad being born there. And mm -hmm. I mean, he knows Spanish pretty well too it's like yeah. it's just yeah you, you don't think that way of us you think of just one way coming from palestine street yeah. to america and starting mm -hmm. your life over here no they started their lives and all Everywhere, over the world yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that's I, really interesting let's talk about palestine yeah and the many layers <laughs> to it i mean like when we had the conversation offline i mean like i was mind blown like she yeah, just you know a told lot. me so much and it's just it's interesting so i definitely want to get into it what was your experience of going to palestine the food world over there and 
like you said, there's a lot of layers to us. It's not just your simple maklubo while wearing eating maklubo while wearing a thobe and just doing dabka on the side. You know, hell no, I'm not gonna wear a thobe yeah. when I'm eating maklubo. I'm, <laughs> That's get, what I'm trying to say, like, I'm gonna there's more spill to some like cauliflower on it and yeah. get a grease stain. So, <laughs> and you don't want to wash a thobe because no, you it's don't. hard. Um, but no, jokes aside. Um, so first derp, I mean, I went to Philistine. I don't recall going to Philistine when I was younger because I was so young when my mom took me. I was. I think three that point she might have took me when I was a little younger but I don't even remember but she was like yo you were a lap child you were such a brat like we had a layover in London and you like hurt your toe in the hotel and you were just being like just such a brat the whole time she didn't call me a brat but she was like you were just so like just trouble and I was already going back because like my grandmother had a stroke and my mom was like afraid she was going to pass away and all this. So she's like, literally the whole time we're in Philistine when you were younger, you wouldn't talk to anybody. You didn't want to wear pants. You just wanted to wear a big t-shirt and like (laughs) shorts and just, and just eat bizarre and ice cream all day. And, um, she's like, finally, like the last couple days you were there, you like said a few words to your CD and he oh. was like, Hello, CD, no. like oh. now you're coming to talk to me. And like, I always remember, cause now like all my grandparents have passed away, like a late home home. But, um, so it's like, I didn't, I had that experience. I don't really remember it much. Um, even I asked my sister recently cause she was with me on that trip. I was like, what do you remember when we went to Palestine? She's like, yeah. you were crying a lot, a lot. and CD got shot and like, cause it was like in Tafala oh and, gosh. um, yeah, I just remember you being like such a brat and crying so I much mean, and the, eating a lot yeah. of bizid and ice cream because that's all they would bring you to like, try to make you feel better. And you'd be holding the ice cream and just be melting down your arm and they would be like, don't say anything to Habir. Just let yeah. her like relax. <laughs> But then I didn't go back until I was 28. Um, Huge transition. So like 25 years later, right? And um, we really couldn't afford going back a whole lot growing up. It was really expensive. It's still expensive, but, you know, I started working and saved up money. And um, my cousin, I I was like familiar with my family there. Background, my mom is the only one of her 14 she has 13 siblings, Inshallah. one of 14 that came to America. Everybody else is back home, um, spread out between Jordan and Palestine. So when I went back, I think I just had all these ideas of like, right, like the Palestine utopia, um, despite occupation and this and that. I wasn't even like scared of that. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I'm going to go and it's going to be like everything I've understood about Palestinian culture. Um, and it was like, nope, I got like smacked in the face. Right. When mm-hmm. I got there, cause I was like, Whoa, why did I have this like very minimal, uh, like simple oversimplified idea of what Palestine was going to be like. Um, so yeah, definitely the first trip back, I was just like, just trying to take it all in, like take in different aspects of culture, take in, uh, like seeing my mom interact with people there and seeing how different she was because of her experience of like moving and how much that made her grow. Like my mom graduated high school, went to a couple years of college, but like the way she was like dropping knowledge on people was like PhD level, like up in there, like just from her experience of like just being like being this, you know, being a foreigner in this new land and everybody also having this idea of her that, oh, you went to America, you're rich, 
you know, yeah. you should be bringing us all back gold. And um, like, I never understood that. Yeah. And then and then my own experience, like when I would try to like go shopping and stuff and my cousins would be like, don't speak English in the store. And I'm Girl, like, but you don't have to speak what? English. They know. They, they know. Oh, they know. They yeah, know exactly. The They'd be like, don't speak move. English. But I'm yeah. like, they already know from like. Yeah. You know, just the way you dress or the way your demeanor is. Or even when just I would speak Arabi, yeah. they know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it would be like suddenly like, um, I remember the first time somebody called me like Ajnabiya. And oh, I got I like so, words. I got so hurt, right? Yeah. Like it's like foreigner. Um, because you're trying to belong because you feel like you should belong because yeah. you are Palestinian. But do we belong? I mean, in a sense, because we don't yeah. live there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a crisis. Yeah, so I felt like, wait, like, I just got all messed up. I'm like, this is supposed to be, quote-unquote, home. Yeah. Um, But it really challenged me to think about, like, themes of home. What does that even mean for me? Um, Is this my home? Do I get to take up space here? Why do I think I deserve space here? Like, all these, you know, layers and questions. Um, And I'm really blessed that I've been able to go back, um, you know, a few times in, like, the last five years because it's really helped me peel back those layers and I was I was just talking to somebody online who's there right now who's American but from Palestine and now he's visiting back and I was like I don't know how to say it but I just felt like every time I was there you know it was just like helping me like figure out what being Palestinian meant for me yeah and he was like yeah every trip like you peel back these layers to like your roots and I was like that's exactly what like he put it in these words that just made so much sense to me Um, For me, like after a few years of visiting, my biggest takeaways are like as far as like identity and culture is like, again, they're not they're not we I think we think about Palestine and we think of it in uh, like a time capsule or, you know, just being there like it was put away in 1948 and nothing has changed. Right. Um, It it has changed Um, or we think about them only through the lens of occupation and oppression which is obviously important to recognize, but are we limiting and reducing people to that? People there are still living their lives every day. They're doing what they're passionate about. People are excelling in so many things and not being able to, um, we're only looking at it through the lens of like, oh, they're occupied, but they did this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, but like, they're also amazing without the occupation. You know what I mean? And like, not always looking at it through like this looking down on them. Um, And then for people who aren't living there, who are Palestinian, being inspired by that, uh, doing your part, like with your privilege to uplift those people who are doing amazing things there and just and like know your space when you're there. Don't try to come in there like you're like I'm an American and, you know, wave your passport around and, you know, it's almost you act like you're VIP when you have your American passport. But that's kind of like understand so many levels. Understand your privilege and use your privilege in a way to talk about things that people there can't talk about. Like we talked about the whole situation when you're in the Ben Gurion airport and you're crying over being there for 12 hours. But these people deal with this, like you said, every single day. Yeah. So make sure when you're crying about what you went through, also emphasize about what these people have to go through every single day. On the daily. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, what is the bigger system that's contributing to this? Right. Exactly. Like not just talking about it in this way of like, I was, I was made to be held in this room for eight hours and I'm like, okay, yeah, but I also had Wi-Fi and was just chilling. So I'm really not trying to like get pity from that. And like, again, this isn't even my experience every single day. I'm only like, you know, I'm all, and that for me too, personally is worth it for me to see my family Absolutely. and for me to go to Jerusalem and for me to experience this beautiful, lush, rich, 
like land of people and history and religion and all that. So, um, so yeah, I think there's just, there's a lot to, I feel like, you know, we could obviously have a whole episode about Palestine and it still wouldn't be enough, but I think more people just need to visit more. And when you're there, just talk less and, (laughs) and listen and, um, and watch things and um, figure out what your experience is and what your, uh, the way you define being Palestinian to you. And for me, that really connecting with more people there and seeing the variety of like subcultures there, seeing the creative world there just made me realize, wow, there is like this, again, like this variety of people here, this variety of culture, people doing amazing things. Yet we all connect on saying we're Palestinian. Yeah. And for me, it really like hit me hard when people would like DM me from parts of the world that I never thought somebody would DM me from like, you know, Venezuela or Brazil or Paris or, you know, Germany and be like, oh, my great grandfather was Palestinian. I think I'm Palestinian. I'm like, you are Palestinian. And they're like, but I, I can't go back there for whatever reasons and thank you for like letting me see that and uh, that really helped me get over like feeling like what do I show when I'm here and feeling like all this pressure of like what do I put on Instagram or whatever and um that's how I felt when I went there like I I of course exposed the whole checkpoint situation when you go to Jerusalem and everything like that and at that point this was like two years ago even though I had the American passport halas like they don't actually treat you any better anymore and for me just to be stuck behind those bars and waiting my turn to be able to go into the Holy Land. That was just Mm -hmm. like, whoa, like I I documented that. But I also wanted to show the beauty in Palestine, the everyday workers that are just living their lives and moving Mm -hmm. forward with their lives amidst the occupation and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And there is so many creatives. I went, like this guy invited me. It kind of seems sus at first because anywhere you should be a little bit like suspect of a guy inviting you underground. (laughs) But I went there. Girl, I don't know where you went. but (laughs) It was underground, but it was like, he was showing me, it was a bunch of people there it was all this artwork and it was beautiful wow. artwork and i still love the pictures and everything and i was like i never i just didn't see philistine in that we, light yeah we view palestine through this, like, this limited scope yeah of, like this is what we think it's like this is what they have to go through on the daily but again they're doing amazing things that we're just not aware of i think i see philistine every time i go in just a different lens yeah. in a different way you learn so much when you truly decide to open your eyes mm-hmm. more so than like you said opening your mouth just yeah. open your eyes and really experience it And for me, I mean, on the point of like being an American, like there is definitely a privilege you have as being an American. Um, I know that that's there's a lot of layers to like whether you have a Palestinian ID or not and all those. Right. But when I go there, I have a visa like, you know, like alhamdulillah, I've been able to get a visa every visit I've went that allows me to travel everywhere I want. Right. Like I have geographic freedom to to go to Yaffa, to go to Jerusalem, and nobody really can hold me back. Um, Other people there can't. I I have, yeah, yeah, like, even if you're an American and you have a Palestinian ID, you're held back, right? Um, And I think it is important to recognize that and to educate more people about that and at the same time use that privilege in order to show more, right? Like, when you do go to Jerusalem, like, what are you going to highlight? Are you going to highlight, you know, whatever trendy restaurant is there or are you going to highlight like the people who've been making falafel in the old city for a hundred years or have been making pickles there for a hundred years or 150 years and connecting with those people and telling those people's helping tell those people's stories um as far as like the food culture scene a whole again just like you know i believe food is part of the art world and part of the creative world there's people you know doing everything from food anthropology 
um, to people that are uh, collecting heirloom seeds and uh, literally preserving heirloom seeds of vegetables and fruit and produce and herbs that only grow in Palestine and that are being that are dying off because people either are not um, keeping it up yeah. or outside uh, corporations or influences are coming in and getting people to stop growing stop growing those things um so you said there was monsanto is monsanto is very present there did not know that yeah and that's crazy yeah. um so yeah so um there's people doing doing great things like that there's people who are leading food tours and cooking classes and all these things that are so amazing and i think you know that kind of leads into seek those people out when you go there like don't just buy into the first like tour bus you find because it has air condition and they speak english like challenge yourself to get out of your comfort oh no we zone. use local like yeah. tourists there like people yeah. that have been there for years 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 mm-hmm. and like when we get picked up from the airport and whatever yeah we don't go mm-hmm. to the mainstream buses or whatnot like no yeah. it's the, the small company that's within the mm-hmm. bira they have mm-hmm. known our family for years and yeah vice and, versa. and again those are things like we can be sharing with our privilege and yeah. when we know friends are going to visit there if they're non-palestinian or whatever and they're afraid of it just encouraging people like go there i got you this guy's yeah. gonna take care of you i know the guy to give you a tour in jerusalem and all that and that's another way of keeping like the culture and history and story of palestine alive outside of the lens of occupation and oppression taking it back to food and recipes and whatnot how do we preserve our narration when somebody like me who's not in the kitchen every day cooking or someone like you said from germany or paris who can't go back home like how are they exactly what daniel was saying preserve their identity through food I mean, I think everybody everybody has a story to tell, right? Yeah. And how you tell that is going to be true to you. I think if you're not in the frame of food, if you're not, if you don't got a food blog, that's fine. Support the people who do have them. Yeah. Um, are you looking up when you need, you know, a recipe? For instance, like if I want, let's just say tabula. Tabula, yeah. right? Like, are you gonna go to MarthaStewart.com for tabula? You're gonna type in tabula, and, and you're gonna up. get probably the first five hits because they've paid to be up there Absolutely. in like the Google search, yeah. right? Are gonna be, or they just have so much popularity is gonna be like Bon Appetit, um, you know, Food and Wine, uh, Epicurious, maybe Martha Stewart, and like somebody network. else, yeah. right? But a food are network. They truly food network authentic. is always on there. Yeah, uh, they might be, they might not. You could read into it. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm gonna say it's probably not authentic. Yeah. And if it is authentic, it's been it's been stolen from somebody. I like what you said <laughs> once when it was like a tabula recipe, and you're like they replaced the parsley with kale. No, and then you're like, but the halas, that's it. It's not a tabula salad, so do not call it tabula anymore. Yeah, it's so that's like a whole another. Yeah. yeah, that's like the the fetishizing of yes. the food world and of of quote-unquote exotic cultures right so it's mm-hmm. like ooh, tabula sounds better kale tabula sounds better than kale salad people are gonna be like ooh, what's that right so it's like this exploitation of culture in order to sound um exotic trendy. and trendy and it's really fetishizing and reducing and um i'm not here for it so if what that's what somebody do? does what can we do when it comes to certain situations like these when they're trying to take our recipes but they're really dismantling it yeah, and putting I mean, different ingredients which completely takes away from what Panera it really has was a za'atar and tahini chicken salad and it's like i remember i don't know if you guys experienced mm-hmm. it but like being in elementary school and taking a za'atar sandwich to like lunch or a sandwich yeah, yeah. And, and the kids being like what is zayna eating like what is that green stuff and now it's just like common like they're now taking it's the it. coolest thing to eat you know what I mean? well i mean 
that's like, you know, there's trends in every world, right? And food is not kept out of that equation, right? You see trends in clothing, in cars, in music, music and everything, right? And, and to a certain extent, all those industries are, you know, taking quote unquote inspiration from other places in order to stay relevant. And especially now when we're seeing like uh, a lot of times diversity schemes, <laughs> I don't really mm-hmm. think they're real efforts to be diverse or to have representation. Um, it's just a way to ride the wave of sounding like you're quote unquote woke. So um, that's the same thing when it comes to food. So like, yo, we're we're so woke because we have za'atar on the bread or like, it's like, you know what? That's cool. Like eat za'atar. I'm not going to tell people they can't eat za'atar, but you know what? Like there's probably five other places that make a, like way better than y'all so i'm gonna support that and then again how can you do that amplify and support the people that are excuse me doing that thank you for mentioning it because i just i just realized that because i i work right in the loop area so what are we surrounded by we have naf naf grill we have the ima place and upsarshu all these like you know (laughs) you're it's obvious who they're owned by and who the investors are and i just i can't stand that so i had coworkers who would go to naf naf grill and um and right like literally down the block is taza's which is an authentic like ought to be guy who owns he looks like my uncle and it's his like little Mm -hmm. corner Mm -hmm. shop and everything and he makes authentic obviously like our food and everything and i like i told them to start going there and they love it they they've seen the difference between yeah, Nef, you Nef can Girl see the difference if you try and tazas and now they support tazas and they're just like over the moon about it and i it just it made me happy because and then what they also loved of the fact of the hospitality you're not gonna get the hospitality Nef Nef girl you're gonna be like hey what's your order what do you want blah blah, blah. you're done yeah. go at the end of the line you will bring in your food with him like he gives them the free chubbas and he's like, you know, he talks to them mm-hmm. and he, they look, you know, they converse. There's a connection. Their There's making. a connection. Yeah. So that's their spot every Friday. And I don't want to say, oh, thanks to me. I showed them that, but it's just nice to just navigate those people just a little bit, just push them towards mm-hmm. like the, the authentic side of our mm-hmm. culture. And you know, it's, the worst thing you can get is no, I'd rather choose an F and F girl. It's like, okay, fine. I mean, I tried my best, but yeah. And like, we have to understand that like more people are going to get into this industry and it's not an easy industry people are always telling me when are you going to open a restaurant when are you going to open a restaurant and like opening restaurants is not easy no okay like i've seen people's lives destroyed they over get, opening they restaurants right really, yeah so like um like doing your part to really support those restaurants are is great even if that means one time or even if that means posting about it yes. on your social media you don't have to go eat there right i i can't tell you how many people like my sisters live in the Bay Area, so I visit there mm-hmm. a lot. Um, every time we're there, we try to go to um, Reams in Oakland, in Fruitvale. Uh, it's a Mena'ish place. And oh, I think I've seen it online. She has a mural of um, Rasmia Auda in her restaurant. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the one. And I want to go and check it yeah, out personally. She's amazing. Yeah. But like when I've posted eating there, you don't know how many people are like, oh my God, a Usha is $9. And I'm like, I get it. Like, you are yeah, used to you're, bu- you're used to buying your menaish for a dollar or two dollars. I get it. I'm not telling you eat there every day. Yeah. I'm not. I don't even eat there. I can't afford to eat there every day. But she's a, an amazing woman of color. She's Palestinian. She's you know really putting herself out there. She's been a target for hate and for um, people trying to break her down for being a, a shaker and a mover in the industry. And a huge inspiration to people like me. Like, that's the kind of chefs I wish I had to look up to when I was younger. Yeah. And she's being that, you know. Um, so, like, for me, 
you know, if I have the privilege to be able to go and support that once at least when I'm there, I'm happy to. And take into consideration, too, the kind of movements people are doing, right? She pays her workers $15 an hour. She focuses on hiring people of color. Um, restaurants are not cheap. You ain't going to, like, win off of charging $2 for men each in the Bay Area. Like, it just doesn't I mean, work like that. So taking these things yeah. into consideration, yeah, there's definitely a privilege to going out to eat and all that if you can and do that to support it if you want to know how you can do that and if you if you can't necessarily be there you could just be talking about them you can be buying their books you can be telling your friends to buy that book for you and it's your birthday if you can't buy it you know like <laughs> you could do a lot um outside of just the scope of just giving your money to a place yeah recently the film we watched Sofra um it was refugee ladies who started their own food business their catering business and they purchased a food truck and everything and they actually put together a recipe book I mean am I gonna use that recipe book tomorrow and open it and create something no but at the same time why that shouldn't stop me from supporting them and if it the means book, just yeah. buying that 30 dollar book that's not gonna kill me or break me so support them in different ways like you said you don't have to physically go to the restaurant you you know what i mean just find a way to support them and sometimes even in the social media world we live in just give them a shout out that's yeah. all you even have to do how hard is it just to just literally put a snap of two seconds of this great you know because if we don't we're gonna lose those those small authentic places so let's support these people yeah. that are going against the grain and it's so easy for them to fail especially when they're the only ones kind of doing it just support them in any which way yeah i think let's just give a fraction of support to the people who these stories are very authentic to and are very honest um let's give a fraction of the support we give other people that are doing this who are not uh you know um don't have a very personal connection or story to something so that's great if like Jamie Oliver, you know, goes to Bethlehem and writes a book about Palestine. Everyone's going to be all over it and is going to be so ready to buy his book, right? Every Palestinian probably who's bought a cookbook for their kitchen has Jerusalem by Yotomo Telengi and Sami Tamimi, right? Like, let's give a fraction of that support to the people. um, Disclaimer, Sami Tamimi is Palestinian, so I'm not trying to reduce it to say he's not. But like, that book is probably one of the most popular books covering quote-unquote middle eastern slash palestinian slash israeli food um like that's the classification it's in if you're looking on amazon mm-hmm. um so like let's just give a fraction of that support that we give to people when they talk about us or when big publications cover us right we get so oh excited. yeah we get so excited yeah. and all that and that's great but like let's just show a little bit of that love to the people who have had to climb and like struggle and fight to to do the same thing and are getting half of the recognition yeah and you don't know what they're going through like i said this film walla touched my heart i was like they really went through a lot when somebody like you and i can easily just go there get the food truck that we want and all that stuff you know what i mean you don't know the pain and the struggle that they go through and then in the end here's their people look we're not even supporting or shouting Mm -hmm. them out or anything Mm -hmm. but yeah let a white person go to our land and say oh my god this palestinian food like we're so happy that we have an ally but it's like what about the we should be telling our own stories we shouldn't be like relying on other people to do the work Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so i kind of want to talk about arab versus middle eastern like Growing up, I always said Middle Eastern food. I'm Middle Eastern and stuff like that. But now realizing where the term Middle East came from, it kind of doesn't sit well with me. And like, why don't we say Arab? Why are we uncomfortable saying Arab food or this restaurant serves Arab food and stuff like that? Well, I think just words are interesting and they have connotations. And I think naturally when people think there is a stereotype or or a connotation around a word, they are 
that's negative, they're not going to want to use it. So mm -hmm. it was very common uh, that we saw like growing up, lots of restaurants calling themselves Mediterranean, Lebanese, Middle Eastern, um, to kind of shy away from saying Arab or Palestinian or Egyptian or whatever it may be. You know, for me, if it's if it's an accurate word that's describing the thing, great. Um, but um, for me personally, like reclaiming words like Palestinian, Arab and making those more common that I'm using them and, and trying to hopefully normalize that language a little more, I think is really important. And I think so many uh, marginalized groups, uh, you know, deal with that, like trying to normalize certain language and certain words. So I think that's just something everybody has to kind of personally deal with. And it's not to shame anybody who calls their restaurant Middle Eastern or Mediterranean Absolutely. or whatever. Um, I think it's just like, for me, if, you know, I have a restaurant one day and it's Palestinian food I I hope I'm gonna say that you know inshallah yeah. it really is because it, it would be nice to see something like that for once because mm -hmm. I don't really see that often it's always Middle Eastern or Mediterranean and every time I see a Mediterranean honestly I'd be confused like, yeah, like what is, is it? that my people is that Greek <laughs> is that, like you said Italian like yeah. I don't know where what I'm walking there's into there's gonna be hummus on the menu that's, yes. that, yeah, that's, that's you know that you could yeah. take that I don't know so that kind of takes me to when you are like certain publications come and ask you for interviews or whatnot or even just like her American all that like how do you feel like you struggle when you identify yourself do you feel like you have to kind of tread carefully in order to get published in certain blogs or whatnot mm -hmm. do you see what i'm trying to say like do you say i'm palestinian yeah. american or do you just say i'm a food blogger that lives in america or in Southside chicago do you i mean in choose? the beginning mm -hmm. um in the beginning yeah i definitely had a hard time figuring out what i identified as but then also what do i call myself in the scope of like because I was thinking about things through a lens of consumerism and how people are going to consume my content and how are they going to classify me, um, which just isn't fair to my identity to, to, to think about it that way. And then it kind of takes away from your authenticity. Made, it made me not feel authentic, right? So me on my own you know, identity journey and figuring out what, what that means for me started to reflect in the work I was doing because I wanted my work to be honest and, and authentic. Um, and, and that might keep shifting and changing. Um, but for me, you know, now it's like, I'm very apparent. I, I try to be very apparent about being Palestinian, about being from the South side of Chicago. Um, but at the same time, I, I also don't want to just ride like a wave of like, that's what makes me different. Therefore I'm better than people. I like that yeah. point. Um, yeah. and kind of being exploitative and being like a token, um, yeah. because I think it's very easy to buy into that tokenization right now especially again around these ideas of a diversity and and being the first muslim yeah. chef oh, and why yeah. i cannot so, stand that um, term first yeah so for me it's kind of like and and you know it's unfortunate like keep it 100 like i see a lot of competition i see a lot of hate i see a lot of amongst like arab palestinian middle eastern whatever you want to call them like food bloggers and writers because it's almost like everyone's scrappling for this one token Isn't seat so sad? at the white table. And it's I was like, so I'm sad. straight. I don't even want to seat at that table. Like, could we just forget that table and Let's like do our, our own, own thing? And guess what? Mm -hmm. There's going to be other people there, too, who feel and identify with the same struggle we've been facing, whether they're Latinx, whether they're black, um, whether they're immigrant. And, you know, like you actually don't need to like prove yourself to them because they could probably completely understand what you're going through and um, have had a similar experience. But again, trying to feed into like getting this like white validation, I think is 
something I really had to think about and like, why do I even care if I'm reblogged by these people? Or why do I even care if the feed feed reposts my Instagram? Like, no, nah, I'm straight. Like, if you want to, cool. But it ain't going to affect me too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not grateful for publications that have worked with me. Of course. But I'm most especially grateful for publications that I've worked with or who have helped tell my story, who've helped me tell it in a very authentic and honest way and not have tried to tell me like, oh, and... It, you know, could we call you this? I've literally had, you know, people who've interviewed me for something and have said, how do you want me to describe you? And I'm like, thank you yeah. for saying that. Right. Um, and at the same level, you kind of got to thicken your skin a little bit and not let things tear you down. I wrote a piece once for um, for a publication and I wrote uh, I wrote about shakshuka and I wrote a recipe for mm-hmm. it. And um they edited it and put it out. Anybody who does freelance writing knows a lot of times you're not included in the editing phase and then it just goes up yeah. and in it they edited it to call it an israeli recipe oh <laughs> i would have died i did that I morning he died oh i literally god. died <laughs> no uh, i didn't oh die oh my god alhamdulillah um i did definitely had like a total anxiety attack over it and was like again my mind it immediately shifted back to like if I say something they're never gonna ask me to write for them again and blah blah yeah. blah like I had all I was thinking of all these scenarios and again like I got shift like I relapsed to that mindset and then my I think my sister was in the car with me I can't remember she's like dude just email her and tell her you got it wrong can you take that out and I was like oh slam they're gonna like whatever and she's like who cares? Yeah. You don't want to write for them if that's Would what they're going to do, be right? described incorrectly or yeah. just tell them as it is and call us, take it down if you so don't. So then a friend, yeah. like, asked me, uh, I asked a friend, like, hey, can you help me write an email because I'm, like, shaky and I don't really, I don't want to sound, like, angry or, I mean, it doesn't, my feelings were valid. I'm able, I'm mm-hmm. allowed to be angry, but I wanted to, like, I felt like I Keep couldn't articulate, I felt yeah. like I couldn't articulate myself because I was overwhelmed. You want to speak through logic and rather than emotions, kind of, when it comes to Well, I mean, like I this. think emotions are important, and it's okay it for people to accept that we get upset about that. But you know me, what I right mean? right away, is like, you don't now want to see my reaction yeah. right away. Yeah. Let me just yeah, show, yeah, yeah. I'll still show you emotion, but Absolutely. I'll a little bit less. But I think there is, like, a bigger conversation around, like, always feeling like we need to be, quote-unquote, professional mm-hmm. and, like articulate ourselves in a way that is like appeasing to somebody and it's like no you should see why this makes somebody so upset yeah, like you did me wrong if yeah, you yeah. are just quiet and you listen maybe you will understand why this makes my blood boil um so so anyway my friend helped me just word as uh, email real quick i emailed them and literally the editor emailed me like 30 seconds later and was like okay it's fixed yeah that's it that's all it's up that's it and in our head we make this big scenario exactly about how it's gonna be and they've big they've recontacted me to like write for them again and all this they weren't like oh yeah that girl who made the big deal about us calling it israeli they literally took that part out and i was like okay so you're gonna definitely like face challenges it's yeah. not as easy as just like saying what you want because if you do want to write for certain publications um it's like taking up that space isn't always easy but um sometimes like i think we we get in our own head and we gotta like have those people too to rely on to be like hey i'll help you write the email or i'll help you word it this way um so yeah did the anxiety come from the lack of representation and you kind of just felt like you didn't want that to be taken away from you the second time around is that why you felt that way like, were you nervous to just tell them, hey, can you, like, literally correct this? Because that's not what I... Um. Well, I think, like, in trying to, like, make this a full-time career for myself, um, yeah, it was it was literally, like, a resource uh, 
the, uh, you know, for money. So yeah. it's like that gave me anxiety. Like I've been poor in my life and I feel like I have yeah. a lot of trauma related to that. And anytime I feel like my resources are threatened, you didn't, like, burn any bridges. Absolutely. You just didn't want that opportunity to be taken. Well, away. it was literally yeah. like y'all are cutting me a check yeah. and I want to be able to cut more checks from you in the future. And that's where it gets all messy when you're trying to like be authentic and be honest and honor who you are. But this is also a job. Well, that kind of takes me into like, yeah, you wanted to get paid for the things that you do as well. Do you feel like you struggle sometimes when it comes to that? Like people feel like we're doing you a favor by bringing you on versus like you saying, well, no, like I still deserve to get paid. My biggest frustration around um, like getting compensation for work. So it's been like a uphill battle. Like one, what am I even worth? Like when you don't think that much of yourself, you don't really even think you deserve to mm-hmm. be paid for doing this kind of work, right? Um, then too, like, do I even have the knowledge of knowing how to monetize what I do? Like, we don't always have those resources or we don't have them in our communities or people to teach us about that. So figuring out, like, how do I monetize this? How do I monetize freelance writing? Or how do I make money off of what I do so that this can actually be my full-time job and I could actually pour myself into it versus it being my side hustle forever. Um, To be quite honest, my biggest frustrations in like getting compensation for things have been in this new, uh, you know, world of this kind of new creative world of like getting paid exposure dollars. And that's a whole nother conversation that could be had. Um, But it's definitely something I've experienced within the creative world probably mostly the Muslim community, to be honest, because th- things get framed up, framed around like doing things like doing things for God, doing things for an organization because you care about the organization. But it's like, you know, brother, yeah. like y'all have a $10 million annual budget. You can cut me a check to like cook a huge dinner for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because they would, they would pay a catering business to do yeah, it. Absolutely, so, right? Me. So um, I think like that space, you know knowing how to talk around Mm -hmm. that is not easy it's still a struggle of mine when somebody asks me to do something for free and they ask me to do it for free um there's no like exchange of services or some kind of bartering like right I think that's something like creatives can be open to and if they want to and I'm completely open to that you know I've done pro bono like yeah Uh, things for people and I'm totally like I love being able to give back in that way because I'm like food's my thing if that's the way I can support somebody great but I can't do everything like that right and I think again back to the conversation of like uplifting each other in our communities our respective communities whether it's the Palestinian community Muslim community whatever is just knowing hey if you got the budget and you got the privilege like that's the way you can support you know people who are trying to tell our stories who are trying to do stories do that do that important work because you probably wouldn't ask somebody else to do something for free for you even just publications Um, if you decide to write a recipe book and everything like that mm -hmm. like instead of struggling and trying to find a publication publication to publish your book it's like we have our own publications like that should not Mm -hmm. be a hassle in itself either yeah and then um the people who Uh, You know, like, for instance, if you are in an organization that wants content or wants people to create content for you or or do some event for you, like you got to do your work, too. Like if you don't got a budget, maybe you should find out how you can get one. Yeah. You know, do your 
footwork to figure out, hey, can I email 10 brands and see if I, I could get some sponsorship? Like, yeah. maybe I could do that and I could put on a cooler event than I thought I could by getting everybody to do things for free. Yeah. And then everyone's kind of coming into it with like these upset feelings because if like your heart isn't really in it, you're going to be upset if things don't go right your way. So, yeah. so I think there's... Um, that's definitely not to take away from people who want to do things for free. And, and I hope that every, people in the creative world could get to a point where they're, they're making money from certain things so they can do more free yeah. uh, work. Um, but I think there just has to be like more honest and like more honest, like exchanges of services and, exactly. and bartering and not just saying, Hey, you're getting exposure. Cause we're going to repost about you on and Instagram to yeah. our 500 followers. Well, okay. Exposure is <laughs> not going to pay my bills. Yeah. Like, um, I always I say wish like, our bills ain't on cause yeah, it's it doesn't not. like we're exposure is great, but it should really just be like icing on, on a cake, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. That's yep. just my, it's been my experience. I don't know. Maybe it'll change, but I think also it's like, ha, you got to have those difficult conversations. And, and I'm grateful that like more of my friends who are in the creative world have helped me think about this more. Like we can get upset, but then what is our responsibility as like uh, creatives and people who have influence to tell these organizations to educate them. Right. So like, Hey, great Muslim organization. You're doing great work. But guess what? Like, this is not the way to go about asking somebody to do something yeah. for you. Like, here's how you can make this more successful. It's a difficult conversation to have, but maybe that's yeah. a step towards us being better in the way we interact with each other and better support each other. within our community and mm-hmm. everything like that. To just transition, I want to talk about Huda Supper Club. Okay. It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you called it Huda after your mom, mm-hmm. of course. And how did that start? Why did you feel like there was a need for that? I mean, there is a need, but where did that come from? Like, I want to do yeah. this. Yeah. Um, um, Huda Supper Club was inspired by other supper clubs that I saw mm-hmm. um, mostly popping up. Uh, the ones I was seeing like online and on TV were uh, like on the East Coast mostly. And they were typically people who were undocumented and they were running, you know, restaurants. Like uh, underground restaurants, basically. Yeah, out yeah. of their homes. Okay. Um, and you just needed to know about it and be in the know and come at the time that they served lunch or dinner or whatever. And you could come in, get a plate, pay cash and leave. And that was a way for them to make money and survive, if, especially if they were undocumented and couldn't work. It's um, interesting. I never thought of undocumented people doing this. You think it's just like yeah. some well-known chef yeah. and he decides to just well, have only 10 seats and charge you $1,000 to sit at his little supper club. That's kind of what happens yeah. when people take an idea from somebody else from, yeah, and exactly. are like, okay, how can I turn this into like this lucrative, cool, trendy thing, exactly. which is whatever, that's fine, do you. But um, so for me, it was kind of like, um, maybe this is a means for me to be able to share my food on a more personal and intimate level with people because writing about food and photographing and all that is great but I also want to be able to like it's a really intimate and scary thing for people to eat my food um but it's also probably the most fulfilling thing for me to see people eat my food um it's like taking things offline basically and really experiencing it absolutely and it's scary as hell but it's like also really fulfilling because if they enjoy it I'm like satiated right like there it's just it's kind of undescribable but um supper club kind of became a means for me to have somewhat of a restaurant experience for people um without having a restaurant and i kind of 
didn't want to turn it into like a pop-up that's three days long and everybody and their mama could come through because I want to control the experience and I want people to come in there and really enjoy it and remember it. And um, so, yeah, we started doing it a few years ago and we're like on an off season right now, but we're preparing to hopefully launch it back up again after Ramadan. And usually let people know through your Instagram, right? And your blog or how? Do yeah, people, people can, if they follow me on Instagram yeah. or if they follow at Huda H-U-D a supper club on instagram um we send out emails and we post online when we're gonna have one and then there's tickets available and they can buy tickets and come we through should it. go zayna i yeah. know i'm I really want to go where your next one is because yes. i'm really i, I I'm just like would love that experience about it type yeah. of thing I, I think it's amazing and i'm excited that you would probably do it right after ramadan inshallah inshallah khair, yeah. you know because this stuff is not easy to put together absolutely it, not. not and i think as like um uh you know doing different things as a freelancer you got a, a a big pressure and like anxiety inducer for me for so many years was trying to do it all yeah, yeah. literally trying to be like i'm the one that needs to be writing the books and not like from a like a pompous or like a arrogant place i just thought if nobody else is gonna do it i it's my responsibility i gotta right. write the books i gotta do the shows i gotta have the supper club i gotta uh post online i gotta post to instagram i gotta talk about my mom and then i gotta like actually have a life Right. Yeah. And, I, and then I would do nothing because I was so overwhelmed with doing so much. Yeah. And a good friend of mine who's also a food blogger was like, hey, write down everything you want to do. And remember that you hopefully have a long life to do all Inshallah. of it yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you can do more later. But just like take it step by step and not feeling like I would get so much anxiety and stress from people being like when's the next hood the supper club which is not to say like <laughs> if you s- that. no no like <laughs> this was before right yeah. because i would feel like oh my god i'm doing so bad and yeah. no and i'm not going to be relevant anymore and nobody's gonna but i think I, that's everybody's fear relevancy just yeah. to stay on top of because yeah. like everybody's coming out with so much stuff it's like oh my god i need to create space need to for myself that, yeah. no but no no you shouldn't i don't believe that, that yeah. because i believe You'll if only you yourself down i believe if you put out if you're a content creator or whatever you do if you're creating authentic honest work and you're putting that out in a meaningful way um the timing it doesn't matter because that's that's timeless and people will always feel like that's relevant because if they could go back a year later and read that piece or read your book and they still feel for it being on trend is is way less yeah. relevant like the quality than of that work becomes less when you feel like you always have to constantly post and all that yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and sh- yeah i see that too but i think we need a more focus on quality over quantity absolutely yeah. having like those good posts as opposed to like just putting something out there every yeah. day that might not be up to your standards and that's yeah. me for supper club too like if i'm doing a million other things that's where my heart is so I'm not going to try to cook food for people because it's not going to probably taste good. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm not going to be present. And I really want to nourish an environment at Supper Club that's like, I'm here. I'm present with you. We're exchanging this like energy through food and through conversation and through stories. And um, I don't want to limit that or reduce it. So when it's right, I'm going to do it. And I hope the people that get to be there like really feel that and... Yeah. And just the importance of supporting one another within yeah. our community, not competing with each other. Like, exactly. There's so much beauty in collaborating with one another. There's mm-hmm. so much that can come out of that instead of saying, oh, I want to be the first Muslim food chef on this food network and everything. It's like when you say you're the first, to me, right, automatically what I visualize is you closing the door right behind you and not opening it for the rest of the Muslim creatives or mm-hmm. people within your community, not even having to be Muslim. So 
I just think we need to somehow find a way to uplift one another, like you said earlier. Yeah. That's like the most important thing. Uplift one another, shout each other out, support each other in every which way possible. Yeah. Because everybody has time to support their friends yeah. and their local businesses. You cannot act like you're too busy or anything like that. You know what I mean? And I think there's like, there's, it's okay to have goals, you know? Yeah. Like if, if it is really your thing, like you want to be the first whatever and that's really meaningful to you, like I'm not mad at somebody who wants to do that, right? Like if that's their personal goal, um, I get like the, the kind of energy around that could feel like they only want it for themselves. Um, but that's something I think people need to reflect on. Like if you want to be the first, do you want to be the only? Or do you want to be the first so you could open up that path? Absolutely, it yeah. might, you know, it might open that path up for other people. Um, so I don't want to diminish that. But I think also it's okay too to not um, feel obligated to, like you're saying, like c collaborating. Collaborating too on a, like a real level could be really difficult for a lot of people. Like right as more and more people get into our industries, it's it's hard to like collaborate with everybody. Um, I think supporting is really, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think supporting is really important. I think holding space for people is really important. And I think working with more groups outside of the groups we're, we're comfortable in and finding unity in like other groups that identify with us and identify with our own struggles mm -hmm. <laughs> are, um, yeah. uh, can really like add to the beauty of like what we're doing. Right. So if they're, you know, if I'm in an art space that, is also open to so many other, you know, marginalized groups of people and or is open to way more people than just, say, Palestinian or Muslim or whatever. Um, you know, I find that's another way of showing like ally, of being an ally and being um, a supporter of other people, too. Yeah, because these are the same people that are coming out to the protests when we have the Muslim ban. You know what I mean? They're not all Palestinians or yeah. all Muslims. These are people coming from different communities supporting you. And I truly appreciate that. You know, mm -hmm. we need all of us to come together. You can't just have only your people show up and show out for these events. You got to show that there are other people that resonate with our struggle because they struggled in the past. Exactly, you know, yeah. so I definitely think it's very important to remove all these walls and boundaries within every community. And I think it's interesting when you said, like, when I say my community, it's like I'm kind of talking about like Bridgeview, Oakland, blah, 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 Orland Park. But you come from a completely different community. You know what Absolutely. I mean? There's so many different communities within Chicago and Illinois and whatnot. So everybody has they resonate with a different community type right. of thing. So mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. To bring it back to Ramadan, I think it was interesting <laughs> when you talked about what's her name, Marie Kondo. I'm the only one that hasn't watched Marie her. Kondo. Okay, yes. confession. I I've never, seen the I've memes. never watched the episode. Okay, yeah. I tried to watch five seconds of it, but I think she gave me so much anxiety because she made me feel like I was like just a mess. So yeah. I was like, no, I'm not listening to you. Do not judge me. I'm gonna live my life the way I want. But you actually took her advice, and it's kind of you actually kind of have advice for us for Ramadan in that. That's, that's not sense. about food. Yes, that's not about food, <laughs> um, but it's very so interesting. Disclaimer, like, my sister watched, uh, I think it's called Tidying Up, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's with, what it is. with Marie Kondo, and I think she watched a few episodes, right? And then, yeah. like, I just went on YouTube and watched, like, some quick five-minute videos with her, because yeah. I was like, I don't have, I can't sit and watch this for too long. Yeah. But my sister was like, these are the takeaways, like, here's what I did, and, like, these are the things I took away from her. Um, so, but for me, like, it was really important in, like, this kind of month before it Ramadan that I cleaned up like my physical space in in my home um, especially like where I want to pray where I want to work where I sleep um, all those things were really important to me and I realized 
uh, as I kind of started just even just cleaning out like my drawers and my books, yeah. which was really hard for me to like let go of books. I can't let go of books. Yeah. Like, I can't. <laughs> like, I have to buy like, a new shelf not, of Walmart after this. I'm I, not like so. I'm not like yeah. this avid reader, right? Like I wish I read more, but I realized I was having. I had all these books in my room, and I was like, "Look, real talk. Like you're never gonna read them, right? Yeah. Give them to someone else who's gonna read them. Like throw, give them to Goodwill." Somebody also might buy it and flip it to a bookstore, like and make money off of it. Like, think of where this book can go and what it could do, right? Yeah. So, like, it's potential. Yeah, yeah. It just it's potential and it's just collecting dust yes. on my shelf, right? So, in just letting that stuff go, um, like, I realized I was feeling super vulnerable. I was like feeling great. Like, I felt like all this weight was lifted off my shoulder, but it made me realize how much we use, or maybe I'll speak in my terms, I use physical stuff to make me feel like protected and covered and like secure and once I started cleaning out this physical space and I had more space I was like wait like this is where I want to sit and like pray or hopefully read Quran or whatever it may be in Ramadan so like you don't think of cleaning up your room would kind of like help you spiritually in a way like now you actually have like you said a space to really relax and have yeah. a zen moment and, and kind of pray freely and yeah i'm like any distractions yeah. yeah absolutely um it for me it was like building a few shelves to get things off of my workspaces because i realized how much i didn't even want to work in my room or at my actual desk because it was covered in stuff so i was like all right let me just like clean up my area and if i feel good being here um it's also gonna like contribute to my productivity in whatever it may be my work my sleep, my um, just sitting and having my coffee in the morning and like my spirituality, inshallah, like when it's Ramadan. So, yeah, for me, like Marie condoing my my physical space was really important for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt the same way because I did this like two months ago. I legit got rid of 10 garbage bags. And it's like when I looked at it, I was like, I was so repulsed. I was like, how did I have all of this? How much stuff you have until you do that? Yeah. And I was like, it's, it's just sitting there when there is so much potential and you could give it to a local thrift store or when it comes to books, mm-hmm. give it to the indie bookstores that are struggling to stay open. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I felt weightless just like you. It felt so nice and refreshing. Like I actually liked going into my room and relaxing in my room. I used to kind of avoid it because yep. it's just like, let me avoid all the stuff that I have that I haven't done anything about it. And it's just, no, you, and especially as like, you know, like I, I travel regularly, but sometimes it's like, I'll have just like a long span of like traveling in and out. And I just felt like I was treating like my space, like a hotel. Like I was just like, all right, I'm here. Let me do laundry. Let me throw this here. I'll I'll clean this up when I get back from California. And I'm like, no, you're not like, just clean it up now. And guess what? Like when you come back, you feel like, oh, I'm home. Like this feels nice. I don't feel like what's the next trip I'm going to take to avoid doing this again. Right. Because I need to be re-inspired. I'm like, I could be inspired by the space I'm in. I don't have to go somewhere else to do it right exactly um so yeah that was really important for me did you did you discover did you discover any clothing that like you totally forgot you had yeah that happens all the time and it's really depressing when you see clothing that still has the tag on there and you kind of look at yourself and it's like why do i do this why do i buy this stuff i'm so excited about it when i'm buying it and then i just throw it in the closet and it's like I don't know. I feel like I need to use my money wisely in a better mm-hmm. way and a more efficient manner where I could help somebody else rather than just buying this $30 shirt that I never ended up wearing. Yeah. When yeah. I could have for me, it. I had a lot of clothes. Um, for me, I had a lot of clothes that 
I know I'm like never gonna fit yes. in again. Yes. Like God, when you hit a certain yeah. age, it's like your body decides to change. It's like no, stop. Just yeah. stay it's where like, you are. It's like this fantasy like idea. I'll of, fit into it one day. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I realized I was subconsciously keeping this ideal body yeah. for myself, and how like destructive that was for my like own self love journey about my own body. Yeah. And I'm like, look, if I don't feel good in it right now, I'm just going to give it away. Because as long as I keep it there and I'm like, if I just lose 20 more pounds, I'll look great in it. And it was like, no, because every time I look at that, I'm just going to think less of myself. And I want to love the body I'm in, no matter what it looks like, no matter how wide my hips are, how thin, like how narrow they are or however, whatever issue I got with my skin or this or that and just love that and if my closet or whatever is in my space isn't supporting that like i'm i'm done with that and it's like that's kind of what like this marie condoing like does to people and i realize why like it's so deep and has its own show and book and stuff because you really got to think about what this stuff does to your life and um really just trying to look towards like honestly like marie condoing my instagram like you know like if an account is or not certain images yeah Yeah. like if all it's making me do is feel less about myself and not make me like love and like uh, appreciate who i am and the like woman i've become like why am i exposing my eyes why am i entering that space this should be my happy place like this is where i post about my food and my life and like my family and my stories and if every time i'm scrolling i just walk away feeling less about myself it's okay for me to unfollow that account. It's okay if, like, that person is your friend. You could still be their friend in real you can life. Mute, you and can mute it, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, if you want to if you wanna low-key mute or yeah. whatever. But, like, I think, like, it just opened up a lot more things that, like, on my own self-love journey. And um, for me, more specifically now, is really about, like, body image and loving myself no matter what I look like or no matter where my weight is or no matter how fit or unfit I am and um being okay with that and um yeah i'm just trying to i realize like clothing that was such a big deal for clothing and then again just trying to be more sustainable as a person like hey i have these five things i haven't worn in two years and i love them and i feel great in them but i don't see them because they're covered by 30 other things so let me put those in the forefront because i feel good in them every time i wear them and I'm going to keep wearing those things. Exactly, because I read this. I don't. I forgot what I watched, but it says if you haven't worn something in a whole year, then throw it out because you went through all these seasons and you never chose to wear it. Why are you going to keep it in whatever? Yeah. And even last week when I went out with my girlfriends and my sisters were telling me, wear a dress, wear a dress, this party's for you. And I kind of, I don't know, I got a little bit down because I was like, I was looking at the dresses I had. This was in my early 20s. And I'm like, I don't fit in these anymore. And then mm-hmm. it kind of brought you down because it's like, what the heck? Like, I can't believe I don't fit in this anymore. Or I don't like my body anymore. And it, but it's like, you need to accept who you are today. It's not, it doesn't mean yeah. you're out of shape or you're whatever. Your body changes as you're growing internally. Mm-hmm. You're also physically, your body's going to change and you yeah. should accept it. And you should be comfortable. And I wore what I was comfortable and I had a good night because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if I actually listen to my sisters You'd and my so friends, I was going to be uncomfortable. And it sh- I show when I'm uncomfortable, like Me you could too. tell, and I will n- let it be it's known. It's going to be in the back of your head the whole it's time. It's in the back of my head and I'm not going to navigate the restaurant or wherever we were <laughs> happily because it's like, oh, it's like yeah. that's not what I wanted to wear and that's not who I am anymore. I don't yeah. find the need to 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 feel pretty in a dress. I can feel mm-hmm. pretty in jeans and seriously sneakers and that's just who I am nowadays. Mm-hmm. If somebody from my past met me, they would never think I'd be the type to wear sneakers. I was mm-hmm. wearing 
heels everywhere I would go. Yeah. Of course, because I'm short as hell, but yeah. also, but I'm just shorty in general, too, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just because that's not what I don't care to impress anybody. I want to be more comfortable. Yeah. It sounds cliche, but I just love no. what you said. That's the truth. And I know for me personally, like, I, you know, I have a body that's always going to fluctuate. Yeah. Like, I'm short too. Woman, so, like, yeah. if my weight fluctuates, like, my body fluctuates you can see a that. lot, yeah. right? So, am if I going to. you're gonna... short and you gain five pounds, yeah. oh it my looks God. like 15. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm always I like, you know that. what, tall people, you don't understand that struggle. No. But, yeah. like, for me too, it took, like, looking to people who talk about this online and are like, here's more advice on the type of clothing, you know, you can buy for yeah. a body that fluctuates yeah. so that. When you do fluctuate five or ten pounds, you're not like, oh my god, these pants don't fit Nothing me anymore. Because guess yeah. what? Those pants love you, whether you're yeah. ten pounds heavier or ten pounds lighter. Exactly. And like, you know, not feeding into having to wear what is trendy and what is whatever because you know that that's what's popular. And just you know, again, finding what defining what that means for you and for your happiness. Yeah. That's exactly how I honestly feel because I feel like sometimes it, because you're not a certain way, people look, oh my God, she's struggling with body image issues. Yeah. Everybody has their own just image of themselves and you don't know mm-hmm. what it is. So if somebody says I'm struggling, just, just kind of give them, I don't know space. how to give them space. Understand. Don't like, oh, be quiet. Like, yeah, look yeah. at you. Like really, you're yeah, like, that doesn't help. <laughs> I don't like that because it's kind of like, you're kind of disregarding my like pain? how I'm yeah. feeling. Yeah. My yeah. pain. It's like, okay, fine. I, I'll just shut up because yeah, I don't relate to somebody that maybe an excessive weight or if you want to consider that certain thing an excessive mm-hmm. weight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just everybody has their own image of themselves and just let them, yeah, struggle with their pain, I guess. But just be supportive. I, I mm-hmm. think that's what I'm trying to say. What advice do you want to leave everybody with when it comes to just Ramadan in general or just being like you, an entrepreneur? And So I guess for Ramadan, um, just some personal things I'm I'm trying to work on um, in the in the physical and like yeah. you know in our in our everyday like lives of fasting and hosting and feeding people um I, i'm just trying to be more conscious of sustainability and waste um because that's a real thing we could all uh do better on so yeah, stop you know, cooking for the gram yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i love and that. if you're that's gonna so co- and if you're gonna cook for the gram like know where that food is gonna go yeah. um so like maybe your neighbors could use a platter of food exactly. so you know you're not gonna throw away and there's homeless shelters the next yeah. day you can give it you're to not gonna same night. throw away like 50 egg rolls you know yeah. the next day because nobody wants to eat them so i think like cooking less uh cooking more appropriately cooking healthier whatever that means for you trying to buy less um like disposable things so can people eat off of glass plates and can you not buy styrofoam or paper or plastic that's going in the trash and just think of every night that that's happening and how many of thought is that's happening at um if you don't have those things say you're single or you're a couple and you don't Mm -hmm. have 20 plates like invite tell your guests to bring a plate and don't be silverware with them like I love that. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of my, like, favorite things in, like, Palestine when there's, like, a certain place we go to to get, like, food and hummus by my family's house. They don't give you a plate. You need to take a plate with you when you go there. And they fill it with food and they wrap it and you take it home. And it's like we can we can kind of be the leaders of more sustainable living and show people how to do that. I don't think we just have to buy into like, just cause party city has Ramadan Mubarak plates. Absolutely. You know, like, I don't know. Does that make the Ramadan experience that much better? Like, yeah. I don't know. I think being around people that like care and love me and love my family. And like, we're connecting over this extremely important part of our faith 
is way more important to me. And like now that I have nieces and nephews, I think that experience is more meaningful than them seeing Ramadan Mubarak written on a plate. Um, or the banners or, or the, any other yeah, stuff. Yeah, like that stuff I mean, is all nice great. if you want to hang out, I mean, uh, decorate your house, of course. Yeah, you want and there's the really look. sustainable brands doing that stuff yeah, now, yeah. making decorations that will last year after year exactly. so that you're not, you know, throwing them away and buying new ones the next day. Absolutely. And then also being conscious of sustainability when it comes to Eid. Um, so like buying gifts that are meaningful if you're going to buy gifts or not buying gifts if you don't have to, you know what I mean? Or like this pressure of buying gifts for everybody. Um, I think it's nice to just think of something meaningful that maybe that person wanted and, um, you know, exchanging that gift or making something for somebody or, um, not buying a Eid outfit. How about that? <laughs> last Eid, I re- recycled whatever was in my like, closet we, and I made an outfit. Like, could we start a hashtag yeah. around, like, I don't know, like, my recycled Eid outfit or I something? Or my, I don't know. We so got to figure it out. to have to go to the mall. And you see it on the last day before the Eid, everybody's Everyone's at the mall. Everyone's out there, yeah. And everybody's probably like, what are all these, like, hijabi and Muslim this, like, people doing here? It's this, like, like yeah. interpretation that, like, was fed to us all our lives that, like, you have to have a new outfit on Eid. And I'm yeah. like... When I was growing up, it was like a means for my mom to buy us new clothes that we would continue wearing. But it's like whatever dress or whatever I wear for a... Honestly, I can't wait to get back home to get like uncomfortable clothes. That's what we do. I was just... Yeah. So... um, I think people just do it honestly for the gram. Everybody wants that. I mean... Hey, you can still gram an outfit that is from your closet like so i think you know even challenging ourselves to like find something in your closet that you haven't worn in a long time and reinvent it or i would love if people did or go buy something secondhand um instead of buying something brand new and not contributing to fast fashion um so or an outfit that's like you know if you worry and people would notice just buy something simple too i think people go really all out for eid and they realize like oh i'm not gonna wear this outfit again everybody on the gram seen it so halas done i'm never gonna put this on again so so yeah i think just be try to be more sustainable in your food. Um, cook, you know, waste less. Think about how much garbage you're you're throwing in the trash. Tell your guests to bring Tupperware when they come over your house so they could take leftovers yes. home. Um, eat leftovers. Yeah. Girl, we <laughs> eat that yeah. for four days after yeah. our Azuma. To me, leftovers always yeah. taste better the next day. Like, Absolutely, always taste better the next yeah. day. Absolutely. And then around Eid, just be more meaningful. Do you, you know? Maybe in, buy like some kind of eco wrapping paper for your gifts or wrap them in like, I don't know, like newspaper, a newspaper <laughs> or like, a, you know, a hijab that you're going to use again or something. So. Uh, so yeah, those, I mean, those are just things. money. Don't be putting it in an envelope. Just hand it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like, that's such a yeah. good time to, like, take so it I out think, of the uh, just Venmo, everybody. <laughs> no. Or, or that. Yeah. Smart. Seriously, uh, gotta get those uncles on that Venmo. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are just some things I'm personally trying to be more but conscious of. So that, yeah. I can maybe like w- have less mental energy spent on on those things and be able to put that energy more into my ibadah or worship. It, I hope so. Inshallah. Let's just scale it so. back to what the real purpose of Ramadan exactly. and Eid is. You know, yeah. take away all this other extra noise. Because Eid isn't a hallmark holiday, and no. Ramadan isn't either. I mean, they're trying to almost make it like that. You see the Eid cards, and you see all that stuff. But I mean, it's okay to support the people within your community that are creating these cards. It's nice to do these things, but again, like really think long-term, like, can you reuse this? If you can, that's awesome. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, it's really important to stay mindful of like, are we just feeding into like a consumerist uh, culture and, and now redefining all our holidays and 
faith experiences mean through those things or could we have it without those things too also and let's not compare our holiday to other holidays and trying to compete and think that like we want our kids to really feel festive and not feel like they're left out because christmas is more festive like teach their own everybody has their own religion and their own way of celebrating it so mm-hmm. i i like how you brought that point also offline but yeah that's awesome and the entrepreneur, because, I mean, that's a big step. I just want to leave off with that. No, because I feel like everybody's kind of gearing towards that route. Nobody wants to work for somebody else. You kind of want to work for yourself. But it's not as glamorous as one would think it is. Just because you're working for yourself, it's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for people that want to dive into that? Um, I think, you know, no matter what industry you're going into, self-work is really important, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Um, I think working, you know, knowing that we all have work to do on ourselves on building character on having self-worth self-esteem all these things uh are really important and important for us to um contribute our time to and that it's never too late um just because uh maybe your family has had you know mental health issues or financial issues or whatever it may be that may have contributed to your own struggles um, I think it's really important to, you know, uh, look like dig deep down inside of what you need to work on, um, because that's going to be reflective in the work you do. Okay. Um, and uh, so I think self-work is important. I think being humble is really important and, and figuring out why you want to do things. If you can't really put into a few sentences like what kind of impact you want to have on the world and why you want to do that. Um, you should maybe sit down and think about that because that will be your guiding, you know, uh, That's star. That's what's push you. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. look, like, the, the reality is, is if you start becoming, quote-unquote, successful, at, well, that's another thing. How do you define success? Um, and it, because if you don't figure out what that means for you, you might think that's just financial success. And we know, we probably all know people who have a bunch of money and are really successful and are really unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what does quote-unquote success mean for you and how do you define that and how do you want to work towards that success? Um, and again, that's going to be like your guidance because if you start getting successful, you can easily get misguided towards picking up fame and picking up, you know, well, I'm collaborating with this person and that really means a lot, but that person might treat you like garbage and you might not have even the words to articulate that that person yeah. makes you feel a certain type of way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think defining success, defining why you want to do what you do, all these things are really important steps. And then um, never being afraid to keep learning. This is like a journey of knowledge and gaining knowledge is part of our faith as Muslims. And that's not just knowledge in our deen. That's knowledge in everything we do. Um, So let's be sources of knowledge. Let's be students of knowledge and let's be sources of knowledge for people. So when you get it, give back. Um, Does that mean having a talk? Does that mean getting on a podcast? Does that mean whatever it may be offering? Don't think you're not an authority to speak on something. Um, If you have some knowledge to share and if you're not an authority on something, you don't have the knowledge. How can you partner with people who do to be able to keep spreading that um, knowledge and make generational knowledge? You know, so the the hard work that we had to do, like, I don't want to see you know you a young a duplicated hulk, yeah a young like if there's the a young food blogger who's yeah. you know was going is going through the same issues that i was going through 10 years ago or whatever like 
I want to start to hopefully like offer whatever knowledge I can and help I can. I don't have all the answers. And again, there's another side of it is like you got to do footwork too and and gain knowledge and put in that effort, right? Nobody's going to like do it for you you, um, and and hand it to you. Um, But I think like we really want, I really hope we can start contributing to more spaces, teaching people things that maybe we don't have access to right now in our communities. So so yeah, self-work, define what success means for you and what your real end goal, your, your micro goals and your bigger goals are um, and um, and pass on that knowledge and, and keep gaining knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think we get excited. We get ahead of ourselves and we jump into something realizing like, ooh, I should have took a step back. I should have done the proper research. Done the research, yeah. And utilize my resources as much as possible before. You don't need to reinvent to... the wheel. Yeah, you, you don't. don't. Like, you really don't. And I think it's really important. You add your to... own when it's your own personality and absolutely and these people like this knowledge and these people are more accessible than we think they're not all like you don't have to um, know a certain you don't have to have a certain amount of money i mean i i really love that um like gary v always talks about on instagram that like if you have a smartphone you have accessibility to so much and um social media in general absolutely there's people who are people who are giving this information out for free it just takes a little energy and work on our and nobody's going to come give us the handbook because for each of us we're going to define it a little differently so don't be discouraged if it's not going your way right away you know the stuff does take time nothing comes easy no 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 that's really great advice honestly because even just like when we started this podcast you learn so much you really do Mm -hmm. and now when people contact us for help or whatever we feel obligated to help them because we wish we had that when we were first starting yeah Mm -hmm. we do because it it takes a lot of work and it does take a village to succeed you Mm -hmm. just don't think of this as just you on your own it's Mm -hmm. not that you'll Mm -hmm. never succeed that way exactly Mm -hmm. so thank you so much abby you you really dropped some knowledge on (laughs) us today so it's inshallah khair for everybody inshallah this is a great ramadan for everybody inshallah you know, we enter with open hearts and we leave it with even Amen. more, yeah, more Dean and more spirituality and just growth. I think that's just the best way. Do not put anybody down this Ramadan. I think we're all learning and we're all struggling and nobody's perfect. Exactly. So just stick true to our religion and just stick to our faith. And what it really encompasses is just accepting one another and loving one another and just being kind to one another. So, Absolutely. yeah, I hope I see you at the Rawih Prayers, girl. Everybody, <laughs> we'll try. I mean, it's yeah. hard when you have work the next day, but it's it's a struggle in that too. But it's just, it's a nice feeling, Absolutely. honestly. Yeah. Ramadan is a beautiful feeling. So, again, inshallah. And reach out to your people yeah. that you know don't have a community. Yeah. I meant to say that too. I'm sorry, no, but I feel I love compelled to say that because I yeah. think it's a it's an experience for us that have had Ramadan every year of our lives, but there are so many people in our communities who don't have anyone that don't have it. And yeah. it is really hard to speak out and say you don't have that um so reach out to people that you know don't have muslim families don't have a muslim community work nights so they can't make it to tarawih work early morning so they can't make it to tarawih are breaking fast at work um i feel i feel for a lot of that because that was a lot of my years of working and it's not easy but you know, I still had my family when I got home at night. Some people don't have that when exactly. they come back. So reaching out to those people, whether that means showing up to your friend's work to break a thought with them, um, you or know. Or even the converts, honestly, that just are newly converted into our religion. Absolutely. And like that. They need the support group. Invite yeah. them. Show them what an iftar dinner is or what tarawih is and or stuff like that. Or drive them. Pick, get, if your yeah. friends don't have accessibility, like I literally remember my mom's good friend 
from like that lived around the block from us she would pick up like six different women yeah. for Tarawih prayer because it was in Bridgeview and we lived on the south side and we could like yeah we my mom didn't have a car to go drive there alone and this lady was like doing the work to get That's everyone awesome. to Tarawih every night and it's like oh my god she got now we're so like Uber ajar. well what if somebody can't afford an Uber like yeah. you know so like just well, let's be, be that our parking yeah. lots are not huge at the masjids let's yeah. carpool. carpool absolutely yeah. if your neighbors are going these are your neighbors just all carpool yeah. we all have freaking suvs we can fit a few <laughs> yeah. more people in yeah. our trucks or in our whatever cars you know so just let's just Absolutely. i think we just need to be a little bit more conscious this ramadan we need Inshallah. to really focus what about what ramadan is offline and not just like you said yeah. you don't have to post all your food every day on the gram you yeah. know what i mean but i mean if you do you do but just be conscious Absolutely. Think about your audience and think about what you gained through this Ramadan and what you've given back. That's all it's about. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great note to leave on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Abir. Thank we you. really love you. We wish you much success because you're really doing it. Um, I want everybody to visit your blog as well. It's abirnajar.com. Yes. We're going to put all this information, yes, of course, once yes, we definitely. post this episode. But yeah, you're definitely somebody that people should follow and really take note and support, inshallah. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks girl. Thank you.